in a defining moment as Esther. You have been given a decisive position like Esther. And you have been trusted with a desperate mission just like Esther. Matthew 121, when our Lord was about to be born and his name was given from heaven, the name was, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In the Greek, that word means to, to rescue. It is the rescue word. You um, find it again in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to rescue from dying, to save those who are lost. When you get to John 3.16, and it says, whoever believes in him will not perish. It's that same word when it says Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost, those who are dying. You see, the central heart of Jesus, the central passion of your Lord, is to rescue dying people, whatever it takes. It's all about rescue. It's what is talked about in Proverbs 24. When it says rescue those being led away to death, hold back those staggering towards slaughter, I wonder if you would dare say, Jesus, I need your eyes. I've been doing this for a while, and I know that when you see people at the mall, I may see shoppers, but you see dying people. I don't. I need to. When you see kids streaming out of a school or hanging out in the hood, Jesus, you see dying people. Moved with compassion way down deep inside when he sees the multitudes. Jesus, I want to see dying people. Look, when you pray, do you pray like it's life or death for the people you're praying for? Is there that kind of intensity? When you preach, is it as a dying man to dying men, as if you'll never preach again, with that kind of urgency? There's a sign up in our office near every computer. Picked it up from a committee person in one of our cities where we were going to do some non-traditional citywide evangelism. She said, Dear Lord, help me remember that this is not about tasks to do. It's about lives at stake. Could it be that you have um, drifted into tasks to do? Evangelistic tasks to do. But you've lost the sense of lives at, lives at stake. The reason that's so important is because when you know it's life or death, when you really see yourself as a rescuer of drowning people, the mindset affects everything because all of a sudden, when there's a rescue involved, it focuses everybody's attention. Do you remember when little Jessica McClure fell down that shaft in Texas 12 years ago? The entire nation was riveted on this. Everybody kept turning on their TV to see what would happen. Everybody around that town in Texas dropped whatever they were doing because when you know it's life or death, that's the way it is. You drop everything. You do one thing. When the building blows up in Oklahoma City, I mean the city is about one thing. We got to rescue the dying. We go in there, they will live. We don't, they will die. I mean even McDonald's, what were they doing? They were cooking hamburgers for the rescuers. Everybody knew it was about rescue. Steve Sellers told you last night about a scene at the beach with lifeguards. I saw a similar scene where the rescue was, was successful. At Ocean City, New Jersey, and don't cheer, I know. But I've been there many times. But but at Ocean City where the where I saw all the beach cleared, they got us all out of the water. I thought it was Jaws. 
Turned out it was three kids drowning out by a jetty. They brought the lifeguards from every beach. Every one of them went running into the water. They risked their lives to bring those kids in. It was a successful rescue. But I will tell you, when it's life or death, it focuses your efforts. You drop everything. You fully mobilize. You risk it all. Personal safety doesn't matter. Someone's dying. I've got to rescue them, whatever it takes. Abandoning safety to rescue the dying, when you know it's life or death, that is the passion with which you live. That means for everybody in this room that you sit down and you say, how can I accelerate the spread of the gospel through the tools that I have? What can I do with radio? What can I do with the internet? What hard neighborhood, what hard place is not being reached because it's hard, because it's on this side of the pipeline? Who will move beyond a safe place to a dangerous place where the hope is so rare? Be a beacon of hope where there's so little. Take the risks. You cannot, as Esther would tell you, rescue from your comfort zone. And the motto becomes that by all possible means, I must save some. So you have a desperate mission. I hope every morning you will wake up and realize again this is life or death and I am a rescuer. Now, what will it mean to do whatever it takes? Let me make some suggestions. Tomorrow, we're going to get very practical about it. Let me give you a few things that it means to rescue the dying, whatever it takes. Number one, it means awakening the primary rescuers. Do you know who the primary rescues are of dying people? Who they're supposed to be? Not professionals. The people who are with them all day, every day. All the people are Christians back in your town. My wife and I live not too far from Pennsylvania Dutch Amish country. We love to go there. We don't like to drive behind them. They can drive your buggy. But there are some great there are some great restaurants there. And um, one of them's called Good and Plenty. You can tell I've been there. And um, what? You can get applause for anything here. Um, but Good and Plenty is a great place. It's Amish, Mennonite cooking. You go, it's farm style family style, you go in this old farmhouse and they kind of load you up with all these mashed potatoes fresh made and chicken and roast beef and fresh vegetables and fresh bread and oh it's just great if you miss dinner I'm sorry and they they just load it on you we had a good time there every time but one time one recent time we went there here's what happened this really did happen we're sitting I think 12 at the table Karen and I are on one end there's people down by the window somehow they get the waitress to give them the chicken then the roast beef then the mashed potatoes, then the vegetables, then the bread. Well, that's not bad if they pass it. They don't. They are just mounding up their plates. Now, you don't eat for two days before you go to this place to justify the gluttony. And so, here are these, literally, all the food is at one end of the table. And while they are stuffing themselves, the rest of us are at the other end holding up our little naked plate going, I'm starving. We had two groups at our table, the stuffed and the starving. That's the two groups in America today. And God's people are the stuffed too often. Pass me some more blessing, please. Must be blessed more. We've got enough blessing to take us the rest of our lives. It is about passing it to the starving people at the other end of the table. Will you go back and awaken the primary rescuers? Do you know the people who feel the least qualified they said, well, have Billy Graham do it. Billy, they wouldn't listen to Billy Graham. 
Couldn't some professional go? They're already in touch. The people who feel the least qualified to do the rescuing are in the best position to do it. Your mission must be to go back and awaken them. They have been under-challenged and over-entertained. If you've ever taken kids on a missions trip, you know all of a sudden they start reading their Bibles. They start praying. Kids who never listen ask questions. What happened? For one week of their life, they need their beliefs. Why don't we go back and try to encourage God's people to have a year-round missions trip in the place where they live, in their office, in their school, on their campus, on their military base, among the families there? Year-round missions trip at home. They'll wake up to the challenge. And you're going to have to give them two things if you want them to do that. A want to and a how to. Don't assume they want to. They're busy rowing in the lifeboat singing We Are Saved songs. You need to help them realize the plight of the people around them and that they have been divinely positioned to rescue some people like nobody else has. Nobody's as close to some unbelievers as they are. You're going to have to give them a want to and then you give them a how to. If you only give them a want to, they'll never get it done. They'll just frustrate. If you only give them a how to, they'll have nice notes in their notebook and never do a thing. Give them a want to and a how to. Here's the second thing we're going to have to do to rescue the dying, whatever it takes. Giving the lost a voice. Do you realize that in most Christian meetings, no one speaks for the lost? They're not in the room. Would you go back, Campus Crusade staff people, to the Christians you know, and in your community, when Christians get together, would you remind them what it means to be lost today? Do you know what it is to be lost? Will you tell them what it feels like to try to make it in this kind of world without Christ? Be a voice for the lost. The impact of having been around a Campus Crusade staff member ought to be this. When they walk away from you, they are thinking lost. They've remembered dying people. Because they were around someone who is consumed with the passion of rescuing them. Here's the third thing it means. is to mobilize rescue praying. Would you go back and make it your goal? Imagine if every lost person in each Christian circle of influence on their block was prayed for by name broken loose as only prayer can do from the clutches of the prince of darkness who's had them too long. David Bryant says prayer is love at war. Let's go back home and launch a prayer war for the dying people in our town. And you lead it. I'll tell you it also is going to mean presenting a rescue message and we'll talk about this tomorrow morning. Don't just transmit the gospel. Say well I gave him the message translate the gospel into words they understand. They do not speak Christianese. If, you're gonna, if it's a rescue message, see, if it's life or death, if I realize that when I share this with you, your eternal destiny is at stake, I have to leave my comfort zone of the words I'm so used to to go into uncomfortable zone, to figure out a new way to say it, because I can't afford to have you not understand it, because it's life or death. If I know that, I'm going to work very hard to make sure it communicates. A rescue message will stick to Jesus and not get off on religious discussions, will not get off on lifestyle issues, will stick to Jesus and His cross. For I was determined when I was among you to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Your job is to take a person by the hand for a walk up Skull Hill for once in their life and have them, you take them to the cross 
and let them see how much God loves them. That's your central, singular mission, is to walk them up the hill to the foot of the cross. Stick to Jesus. That's a rescue message. That's what they need to know. And if it's a rescue message, you're not just going to present the message. You're going to try to close. You're going to ask for a verdict. You're going to give them an opportunity to respond. Carol attended my campus life club as a freshman. She used to write on her react cards. I could see she was getting closer and closer to considering Christ. And then one night uh, I said to her, hey, I'll see you next week. The meeting was at her house. I said, I'll see you next week, Friday night. Two nights later, she walked off a Ferris wheel ride at the carnival and dropped dead of a cerebral hemorrhage at the age of 14. I thought I'd see Carol for four years. I saw her next week at her funeral. And I never asked her. I never asked if she wanted Jesus. Not sure I explained how she could choose him even. There's too many like that in our circle of influence, aren't there? You can't just present. If it's life or death, you've got to close. One last thing it's going to mean to rescue the dying, whatever it takes, and that is preparing for a lot of rescues. Acting as if what we're imagining is going to happen. Did you know when young couples come to a church, the question they ask if they have children, what do they ask? About the, the nursery, that's right. Do you know what God is asking? He would love to send you the greatest harvest you've ever seen in your life. You know what he's asking? How's your nursery? You ready to take care of them or are you just ready to deliver them and then leave them on the delivery table? Are you about obstetrics and pediatrics or just delivering babies? God says, you tell me about your nursery. I'm going to send the new babies in the great harvest I'm going to send. I'm going to send them to the people who are best prepared to take care of them. I'm convinced that the harvest is decided by three factors that happen before we ever have the harvest event. One is the amount of prayer. Secondly is the planning for follow-up. And thirdly is the training for counselors. You do those three things, you're going to have a great harvest. It's acting like it's preparing the barns, getting the barn ready, getting the nursery ready. You're living at a defining moment. You've been given a decisive position. You've been trusted by your Savior with a desperate mission. And I believe that God is perhaps preparing right now what he said would happen in the last days in Acts 2.17 and Joel chapter 2, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. The last great sweep of the Holy Spirit across this planet. And Jesus said, just before he came back, there would be two explosions. Maybe it doesn't say that in your Bible. It doesn't mind. Matthew chapter 24 he said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. He was talking about Christians. He said, wickedness, sin is going to explode across the planet just before I come back. Is that happening? Did you ever hear of the internet? Through the media, sin is exploding across this planet as no one could have ever dreamed. Exponentially. Jesus said, there will be a great multiplication of wickedness just before I come back. And he said, most of my people will go to sleep. One group of Christians before Jesus returns will be the cold. They're going to get cold. But that's not all of them. Because Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come.
Jesus said at the same time there's an explosion of sin, there's going to be an explosion of the gospel. And you're going to be in one of two groups. The group who sees what time it is and either gets colder or bolder. You say, is there a third group? No. There are two. The cold and the bold. You ready to step across the pipeline? Beyond what is geographically safe? Socially safe? Financially safe? Methodologically safe? Always done at the... No. Maybe God wants to move you somewhere. Are you ready to make that move beyond safety? Because somewhere in this crowd, God is summoning someone to be a part of some of the greatest things he has ever done. To join the bold army in the fourth quarter. And I hope you will listen to his summons. Because on the other side of the pipeline is a life of great significance, the greatest impact you could imagine. Quite simply, Jesus is asking someone in this room to do what he did. Who is there who hears the summons of Jesus tonight to do as your Lord did and lay down your life for the law? We're at the pipeline. We've gone as far as we can go safely. 2,000 years ago, on a cross at a place called Golgotha, the Son of God crossed the pipeline. It's your turn now. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, you have put us smack dab in the center of your plans for such a time as this. I pray that we would lay down our life in front of you now. And Lord, I'm hearing my own message because I don't know what it's going to cost me to have preached this. But I pray that we will have a holy restlessness that says, I've got to have more. And I'm moving out of the comfort zone to get it. I hear the cries of the dying people. And I will do whatever it takes to rescue them. Lord, I pray that tonight you would change the futures, the priorities, the hearts, of some of my precious fellow warriors so that we can mark this planet in Jesus' name and raise his banner as it has never been raised before. I pray for that in the authority of Jesus' name. Amen.